You are listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit salempresws.org. That's salempresws.org. We believe preaching is best when experienced as part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. verses 8 through 41, so you can turn there in your Bibles or on your phones. And again, it's Acts 19, 8 through um, 41. Please rise if you're able for the reading of God's word. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the halls of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Siva were doing this, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize. But who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Now after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, He himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way, for a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth, and you see and hear that only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, This Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods, 
And there is danger, not only that this trait of ours may come into disrepute, disrepute, but that the temple of the great goddess of Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be disposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged, crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with the confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristocrus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward. And Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he said these things, he dismissed the assembly. This is the word of God for the people of God. Uh, Good evening. My name is Ben Milner, one of the pastors here. Um, And we're looking at the book of Acts, uh, continuing that series. And we... um, We've been looking at how the book of Acts is the story of uh, part two of the life of Jesus. Uh, Part one was the book of Luke. And then now this is the continuing life of Jesus. It's the same Jesus. But now instead of living uh, on the earth uh, in a physical body, he is now ascended as the right hand of God in a spiritual body. And uh, so he is in the unseen invisible realm. And from there he's ruling the world. And the book of Acts is a depiction of his uh, spreading out his witness across the world where the church is the witness to his reign, a new different kind of way of living, uh, a new kingdom that is in opposition to the kingdom of Rome, the kingdom of the empire. And so from one city to another, we started with uh, really Antioch was where he first got a hold of a major city. And uh, Paul was in Antioch. And then from Antioch, Paul took off and he started targeting the major cities uh, of Greece uh, and Asia. So he, um, he went to Corinth. We saw that last week. And then this week, he, he makes a beeline for Ephesus. And uh, Ephesus was kind of like the city of power. If you, read, uh, if you ever read the book of the Ephesians, Paul talks about the rulers and authorities and the principalities and powers. And so it's a city of magic. Uh, of the great god Artemis, goddess Artemis. Uh, all the mile markers in Asia were marked from Ephesus. So it's 
by far the largest city in Asia, one of the five largest in the empire. Um, it has a, a stadium with 20,000 seats that you can still look at today. Uh, it's, it's pretty well preserved, actually, this massive stadium. 20,000 seats in the ancient world. Uh, it's got the Temple of Artemis, which was the seventh wonder of the world, ancient world. And um, it had 127 marble columns. It was, each one was 60 feet high, and it was larger than a soccer field. So if you've been to the, uh, the Parthenon, uh, much bigger, much bigger than that, uh, much more. Uh, it just kind of glowed, made of marble. It's just much more shiny. Um, so it's a magnificent city. And in verse 35, uh, that's why the town clerk, when he's trying to calm down the riot, he's like, who doesn't know that Ephesus is the great city of the great Artemis? So uh, everyone in Ephesus knew we're, we're a great city. Uh, it's a proud city, powerful city. And yet into that city in verse 23 comes this, this thing that is described as the way, uh, also described as the word. It's just simply the proclamation of a certain lifestyle, the life of Jesus, the crucified God, the Lamb of God. And it says in verse 23 that in this massive city of power, uh, the way comes in and there was no little disturbance, which is Luke's typical understated kind of almost a sense of humor, irony for sure, that he's saying uh, this, this little tiny thing, uh, the way, uh, came in and made this gigantic disturbance in the city of power, Ephesus. So I want to look at, first of all, how Ephesus is a city that is captive and dominated by power, um, by principalities and powers, the cosmic powers of this present darkness, spiritual forces of evil in high places. Uh, It's a city of uh, supernatural might. um, And then I want to look at how Jesus liberates the city from that captivity of power to domination. So uh, the captivity first. Paul walks into the synagogue, as he always does in these massive cities, and he goes right to the synagogue, and he says, basically, he says, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies of Messiah. He is the king of the world. He's ruling the world, and Rome will fall, and all that opposes him will fall. And he's, so he's taking over the world. So that's, that was his message, basically. Jesus is Lord. He's taken over. And it said, instead of cheering... Uh, the synagogue, and these are the people who are waiting for the Messiah. These are the people who are the light of the world. These are God's own people. Um, that's how strong the captivity is. It says in verse 9 that they, they, were, they remained in their stubborn unbelief. Uh, so instead of cheering, uh, they just dug in their heels and they did, not want to, um, they did not want to give over allegiance to Jesus as the Messiah. In fact, they so opposed the way of Christ, that it says in verse 9, they started to distort facts. And they spoke evil of the way. Which is a sign, this is one of those signs of uh, where you know power is being exerted. Uh, it's, it's power um, over the mind. And uh, they're dominated by an agenda. They have an agenda, and so they start to distort reality. And we see this today. Uh, the partisan brain is a phrase I've, I've heard used about America today, that our brains kind of have lost the ability to process information because they're so partisan. You know, if you think about how Fox News intentionally lied about the elections, I mean, they admitted this. And then the New York Times about Hunter Biden. So it's both sides, but just the partisan brain, the, you know, having an agenda and pushing an agenda uh, for the sake of control and domination 
and moving people around. That's what's going on in the synagogue. And the synagogue is the light of the world. That just shows how much Ephesus has had its claws into even the Jewish people. You see in verse 13 that uh, there are somehow these people called Jewish exorcists. So they're, these are people who are by, um, by religion and background are Jews. They're the people of God. And yet they are so given over to the powers of magic that they are performing exorcisms. Um, they, um, they are in, they're in league with, uh, with magic. And in verse 13, they see what Paul is doing. They see how much power Paul has because he's proclaiming the name of Jesus. So they are telling the demons in verse 13, I command you to be gone in the name of the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Not a Jesus they know personally at all. They just say the Jesus Paul proclaims. So they're trying to um, kind of jump on, uh, on board with this power of Christ, the fear of the Lord that falls upon the city. They're, they're trying to take that and co-opt that and use that to, um, to kind of to make money, really, to drive out demons and to make a name for themselves, to start a business uh, of driving out demons. If you've seen Leap of Faith with Steve Martin, um, he's this traveling faith healer who goes around and uses the name of Jesus to wield power, uh, to make money. And uh, he's treating the name of Jesus as some Christians do, uh, like a magic spell. Like if they say the name of Jesus loud enough and with enough authority, then that by itself will actually drive out a demon. So he's treating it like uh, a matter of power, which really, when you really look at it, it it becomes magic. Um, And the thing about magic is with magic, you can control things. You have the power. So you just can proclaim something to be true and it happens. That's magic. It's like the um, imperious curse. If you've read Harry Potter, one of the three unforgivable curses. And if you just say imperio and point your wand at someone, then you have them under your control. You have power over them. That's the difference in magic uh, and superstition and ethicist and uh, dark arts versus the gospel, where uh, there's none of that. You don't, we don't control each other. We don't dominate each other. Even the evil spirits uh, know that the magicians, these uh, seven sons of Sceva, even the spirits know they're pretenders, that they don't, really, they don't really have the power. Because when they try to cast out the demons, the spirits themselves say, now I know who Paul is. And I know who Jesus is, but I don't know who you are. And then the spirit leaps on the exorcist and it says that they pummeled them and they mastered them and they dominated them. So even the spirits themselves know that these uh, magicians are pretenders. They don't really have spiritual power. There is no spiritual power. So the great Ephesus is so um, captivated by domination uh, and wielding spiritual authority that when Paul questions the legitimacy of Ephesus, Uh, the whole city just explodes in a riot. It says in verse 24, um, Demetrius, the silversmith, made silver idols to Artemis. This is the god of the city, the goddess of the city, the great goddess Artemis. And uh, in making these little idols of Artemis, kind of like little, when you come into a city, like a, you know, if you come to New York and you have the Statue of Liberty, you make a little figurine. That's what Artemis was, uh, Demetrius was doing, making little statues of, of Artemis, and it brought in no little business. So, so what's happening here is Demetrius is noting that, that because of the power of the gospel, people are actually not buying these statues anymore because so many people are not worshiping Artemis anymore because the powers um, of domination are being broken. And he's, he's acting like, Demetrius acts like he cares about theological purity, 
He says in verse 26, this Paul, which is um, a way of mocking him, is a derogatory way of speaking. This Paul has persuaded many to stop worshiping Artemis. So he's acting like he cares about Artemis, but really he's driven by greed and self-interest in verse 27. There's a danger that our trade may come into disrepute. So his greed, and so often this is the case, greed, uh, greed can just get a hold of religion. And uh, in this case, it drives them into a frenzy. Um, so verse 28, they screamed for two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians over and over and over. Just try to picture that riot. I mean, imagine, you know, men with long beards jumping up and down, like pumping their AK-47s. You know, we've seen these images in the news just chanting over and over and over again the same thing. That's what's going on here. It would be terrifying to be there. In George Orwell's 1984, he, uh, he coined this term groupthink, which uh, is, here's how it's defined, a deterioration in mental efficiency and moral judgments due to group pressure. And sometimes if you're in an institution, whether it be a hospital or a school or a business, you can fall prey to groupthink. Um, verse 32 describes it. Most of them did not even know why they had come together. So they've come to this riot. They're chanting these things. They don't even know why they're there. That's group thing. And no one questions anything. You know, you lose capacity for independent thought. You, people speak in whispers because they're nervous about anyone hearing them talking about certain things. They won't use certain words. They're not even really thinking. In verse 32, it says, some cried out one thing and some another. The whole assembly was in confusion. This is what happens with the powers as they create this, this domination of uh, propaganda where people can't even think straight anymore, like Big Brother. And even the town clerk, who's not, he's not a believer. He's just trying to keep order. You know, he's not even trying to do anything but keep order, the Pax Romana. Even the town clerk can see that this riot is completely uh, ridiculous and unreasonable. And so he calls out the duplicity of the rioters. He says in verse 38... Okay, the courts are open. There are proconsuls here. Have the dispute settled there. Stop rioting. As an um, atheist, I was very put off by the groupthink that I thought I saw in churches. I think I did see it in churches. I saw it on TV, for sure. I saw it in televangelists. Um, I saw it in the way that there was like kind of a high-pressure sales approach to evangelism. Where people almost were like, what can I do to put you in this car today? You know, I could tell they were trying to close a deal on me because they were pressuring me. And um, Christianity felt to me like brainwashing. There were these long, you know, there would be a long altar call. Uh, and they would um, actually put people in crowds. I've heard that churches do this. They like place their own people to act like they've had a conversion and come up front. Uh, you know, it's close your eyes, raise your hands. Uh, if, this stuff often is, is used because it, it's, it's got this groupthink element to it. It's got this uh, em, emotional um, manipulation, intellectual manipulation. And we're not above that here. I mean, that's just the way, that's the way religion kind of can work. And it's so sad that I thought that about Christianity. Because if you read the Gospels and you read about Jesus and the way he interacts with people, he never, ever pressures anyone. It's almost like the opposite. Where he's kind of like, are you sure you want to believe in me? Because this is going to cost you a lot if you go there. It's, it's absolutely full consent. He doesn't pressure anyone. It's like a good husband, you know. You, uh, he always makes sure they're totally ready to go there when he calls someone to himself. And that's why this space right here 
Our church has got to be the least manipulative space in the city. Like we, a church should be a place um, where from the bulletin to the music to the sermon, the liturgy, the announcements, the communion, everything, there's no arm twisting. There's no coercion. There's no spectacle. Um, there's no marketing. That it's, it's you and Jesus. And that's the liberation that Christ provides. It's, it's the opposite of the captivity of the great power of Ephesus. It's like the January 6th riot versus the march to life. You know, if you've, seen, if you've seen a march for life, there's a lot of joy. It's peaceful. No one's rioting versus the angry, violent mob in January 6th. That's like the difference in the church and this riot of Ephesus. So I want to look now at um, the liberation of Christ, the freedom that I wish I had known about when I was an atheist that Christianity offers. Um, verse 8 is the perfect depiction of it. Paul comes in and he spends three months speaking directly, boldly, directly. Bold means forthright. It means that you're up front. You're not being sneaky. And in some religions, they won't tell you, you know, the true doctrines until you get kind of farther in and more and more indoctrinated. And only then they can start revealing things down the line. This is why when we have our newcomer class, we tell you up front, look, these are our most controversial views. Like, we're going to talk about gender and sexuality first, because this is controversial stuff. And I want you to know where we stand on these things. He's forthright. Paul doesn't, like, hide things from them. It's all out in the open, completely out in the open. And it says that he reasoned with them. I mentioned this last week. He persuaded them. You know, Christianity is not anti-intellectual. It is not irrational. He persuaded, he reasoned. It's kind of like long-form journalism, like really long podcasts, not a TikTok video, but something that you really get to think about. He was, it's like the rabbinic style. If you've ever seen rabbinic method, it's like question back and forth. You put out an idea and then people question it um, and you keep talking, you're interpreting stories. Even when he gets kicked out of the synagogue, and again, this is the difference in the power plays of Ephesus and then the way of the church. Uh, even when he gets kicked out of the synagogue, notice what he does in verse 9. He goes right to the academy. He leaves the synagogue. He goes to the academy. And there was this philosopher named Tyrannus who lived in Ephesus. And he had a lecture hall. And every day in that lecture hall, Tyrannus would just go there to make money. He would just lecture. Uh, you know, maybe somebody like uh, Joe Rogan or Jordan Peterson, the way they just, they make money just by talking. That's what Tyrannus did. He just talked. And, um, and so Paul's like, can I rent your lecture hall? And he goes in the lecture hall and it says every day he reasoned for two years. He went in that lecture hall. He probably rented it in the heat of the day where Tyrannus didn't want to be there. And uh, he just talked so much. He lectures so much. He uses so many words that Luke, uh, kind of tongue in cheek, says, all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord because he just would not stop talking. He talked for two years after three months in the synagogue. And he would say things that others were afraid to say. He was a whistleblower. He would say, yeah, Artemis is really not a thing. Artemis is really not that great. What's great is not domination. What's great is the crucified God. What's great is giving up power. That's what's great. Magic's not great. Um, controlling people's not great. Brainwashing is not great. Groupthink's not great. Uh, what's great is, um, is not being about ourselves and giving up and letting go. 
And even the way that God um, does the signs and wonders, you know, we've talked about miracles, signs and wonders in the book of Acts. It's very clear that it's not about Paul. I thought that verse 12 was very superstitious and it always bothered me. But as I studied the passage and thought about the difference in the way the sons of Sceva operate and the way that Paul operates, verse 12 is actually a way of saying this is not magic. This is not like Sceva. This is not human control. This is not domination. It says that handkerchiefs and aprons that even touch Paul's skin were being used to heal the sick and cast out demons. And that means that it had nothing to do with Paul. That Paul was like way over there when it happened. So it was not about him at all. In verse 19 it says that all these people who practice magic arts, and they made a lot of money practicing magic arts. You can make a lot of money back then practicing magic arts. They brought their books and they burned them. And you know, you think about banning books, which is happening in our country. You think about uh, book burnings, which happened in the Middle Ages. The church has done this before. Um, all religions have done this. This sounds like domination. This doesn't sound good. But if you think about it, it's totally consensual. Uh, these people are not being pressured by Paul. Like, you need to go burn your books. You need to go burn your Led Zeppelin records. You know, you, this is like true liberation from power and greed and domination. It says that they, um, they confess their sins. They, they freely, this was like the most free thing they'd ever done in their lives. They, um, love, like with, with joy, the ultimate liberation. It said that in verse 19, $5.5 million of books were burned, were magic books. In the sight of all, the whole city was set free by this. So you have um, the mighty city of Ephesus. 20,000 people rioting in the stadium. You know, the cosmic powers of this present darkness, the spiritual forces of evil in high places. The Artemis industrial complex, if you will. You've got all that. But then it says in verse 20 that the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. The word, a word, like a little thing from a book. That's, that's, what, domin- that's what ultimately undermines the, all the powers of Ephesus, the powers of magic. And um, I love that uh, words are the power of the kingdom. And... Um, you know, my dad, uh, my dad died last night. Um, y'all know, a lot of you know that he was struggling against uh, death for a long time. So uh, it was a beautiful death. Um, it was, he, in his death, he, um, he brought a lot of redemption to our whole family. And I could go on about that. But, but just the fact that this passage is all about how words and ideas are what move the world forward with liberation... It's just like my dad spent his whole life doing that. Like it was all about words. It was all about teaching and ideas. I mean, this idea of like reasoning, uh, of, of dialogue and persuasion, this is what my dad was about. And Paul was so confident in the final victory of ideas. <laughs> in verse 30, I love this, to save Gaius and Aristarchus, his friends who were being like thrown around and very close to death. Um, they're probably on people's shoulders being carried around, you know, with torches or something like that. So Paul is so confident. Uh, it's just, it's almost sweet. He's so confident in the victory of, of ideas and words that he runs into the crowd. Or he tries to run into the crowd. 
I imagine like the, the disciples see him running and they just rush over and hold him back. Because he wanted to get into that crowd because he thought that if he could just talk to them, then surely they would stop the riot. And he, he didn't go in there to, to do what the town clerk did and like bring the pox Romana. That was not his intention. He went in there to tell them, God loves you. That's why he went in there. He went into the crowd to tell them that the ultimate liberating thing was this incredible idea that um, God came as a human and he um, came to die for people who hate him and um, for enemies. And that's, that's, the great, that's the great gift the church has to the world is this word, this simple, simple story. And that's what liberates people. Um, and it's like, it's exactly what we see in this meal. Um, God loving his enemies at their worst and uh, in doing that, uh, just setting souls free, um, which I saw. I saw it happening uh, this weekend in the way that um, my dad died, uh, what he was doing. It was absolutely amazing. Uh, so on the night he was betrayed... Remember, we love these rascals.